That's two weeks. It just it feels great to just come and, and sing songs and praise our, our Lord and Savior. It feels good to be back. I just want to welcome anyone. If this is your first time here, welcome to Faith Bible Fellowship. Feel free to introduce yourself to someone after, shake someone's hand after the service. We would love to get to know you, your name, and, and just um, get to know you a little bit more. As, as people know, um, our family has grown over the past two weeks. And um, yes, thank you. It's been an exciting, it's been, it's been a hard time, but it's been exciting just to see our family grow. And from Keisha and I and, and Zion and Judah, we just want to thank you guys for just surrounding us with prayer over the past two weeks. And, and, Zion, and Judah having to go to the NICU and everything, we just felt so overwhelmed and just great that we had a family that was praying for us. We had you guys praying for us. We had family praying for us. We had friends praying for us. And we really felt surrounded by God's love and grace. And we just want to thank you guys for that. And thank you guys for those of us who served us in this time, who brought meals to us. We thank you for that, who's offered to perhaps take Zion for a couple of hours so that Keisha and I can have, can have some one-on-one time with Judah. We just want to thank you guys for all that. And that's what, what the church body is for, is to love one another and serve one another. And we just want to say thank you for that from the bottom of, of our hearts. We just, we've been filled with, with love and God's grace through you guys, and God has been using you guys to just keep us firm. Thank you for that. So as we know, we, we started last week, Alex started us off with um, the book of Philippians, and we're going to kind of make our way through that, and we're just going to continue that. We're going to continue going through the book of Philippians. And so we're going to be in, in 12 through 18 today, and we see that there just comes a point in our lives, a point where we have to decide, do we let people and the situations affect us? Do we let the things that are happening to us dictate what we believe, how we respond to people, or what we choose to do in, t- in those times. So we come, I believe, into a set of passage here in Philippians where, where Paul is trying to encourage the Philippian church to not, to not be discouraged, to not, to not be um, discouraged and let the hardships of life kind of overwhelm them and affect the way that they go about their lives, to affect the way they praise God, to affect their everyday so we come here to a passage where, where Paul is trying to encourage them to just rejoice no matter what. Whether life is going good or whether life is going hard, rejoice because God is real and because Christ will be proclaimed. And so that's what we come to a set of pa- uh, here in Philippians. So um, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. And I, I, I was listening to the past couple of weeks, and I know that Alex had asked you guys to stand up. And I really, really love that. We did that all throughout at Karen, where I went to school. Every chapel service, we, we stood up. And I think there's power in that. So we can just stand up for the reading of God's word. And if you want to join me, feel free to join me, too. Um, hopefully it doesn't sound too, too crazy, but if you want to join with me in reading, we're in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of, 
the former became Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you. We, we humble ourselves before your throne of grace, before your throne of mercy, Lord. And we ask that you be with us today, Lord, that as we open up your word, as we study your word, as we, we try to apply it to our lives, that you come and you be with us and that you use your word. You use the people here, the, the songs, and whoever's up here, Lord, to to grow your church, to strengthen your church, Lord, that we may grow in our knowledge and our understanding of your love and your grace, Father God. Be with us today, Lord. Be here. We ask that you eliminate any distractions, Lord, that we're able to spend the next several moments focused on what you want us to to say to us, what you want us to hear, Father God, that, that we're convicted in the areas in life where we need to be convicted, Lord, that we grow where we need to be growing, Lord, and that we serve you where we need to be serving you, Lord. We ask that you be here with us, Lord. We ask that you use me, Lord, that you eliminate anything that's under me, but Lord, that you speak through me, Father God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to these people. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I was going through this week and trying to figure out what God was was speaking to me through this passage, um, one thing that that stood out to me is that we need to have joy in the gospel and its truth in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sufferings, when life isn't going our way, we need to remain faithful to God and we need to find joy in the gospel, in the truths of what God is speaking to us in his word. And so we come to a passage where, where, where Paul is, I believe, trying to encourage the, the Philippian church. This is for them. He says at the very beginning, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And we see that, that Paul is really trying to encourage the Philippian church to just have, to look at the bigger picture, to see what's happening, to not just focus in on the fact that, that Paul is being persecuted, that Paul is, is suffering right now, and that he's in prison or anything like that. He doesn't want them to focus on that. He wants them to focus on the fact that no matter what, the gospel is being advanced. And he says that, yeah, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Look at the bigger picture. Don't focus on the hurt, don't focus on the little things, but see what God is doing in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of anything. See what God is doing. And he's trying to encourage, I believe, to, to, to the Philippians to have this, this heaven's mentality, to don't forget that, yes, life is hard and difficult, but there are times that we just need to focus on what God is doing. We need to ask God to show us what's really happening behind the scenes. And he's saying, don't worry about me. Like, I think word has gotten back to Paul that, that, that the Philippian church is worried and they're grieved over, over what Paul is going through. Perhaps they're even concerned that some of this may be coming their way. And Paul's saying, don't worry about that. Look at the bigger truth. Look at the bigger picture that the gospel is moving forward. It's being advanced. And we see that, that despite Paul being locked up, that despite Paul being in, in prison, that, that the gospel is moving forward, that he is still in, in his struggles proclaiming the truth of the gospel. That word, the Greek word for advance there is the same word that we see Paul use in verse 25 when, he, when he's encouraging the Philippian church to, to make progress in the faith. And so we see that what Paul's saying is that despite my situation, despite what I'm going through, the, 
the gospel is making progress in people's lives. People are hearing the word of God. They're hearing the truth. They're hearing the good news of Christ despite what's going on. And he's saying this is an encouragement. This is something to be happy about. We see that, that, that Paul does not just stop proclaiming the gospel of Christ because of life gets hard. And we have to remind ourselves that sometimes we stop believing the word of God or we, when life gets hard, perhaps we stop praying or, or we stop, stop reading our, our Bibles or perhaps we, we choose not to come to church, whatever it may be. But we see what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to lead by example that despite the hardships of life, do not give up on the gospel. Proclaim the truth of Christ no matter what. We have to try to have this mentality that no matter what we go through in life, we will always be proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And that's not easy. That's difficult when life is hard. It's a lot easier when, when, when things are going bad to choose not to pray. It's a lot easier when, when, when things are going crazy and you don't have that much time in your hands to, to, to not want to read your Bible or not spend time in prayer. But, but we all have to understand the question that I ask myself is how is Paul able to maintain this focus on the gospel in times of trial, that despite what he's going through, how is Paul able to still look at his situation and say, everything was right, I rejoice, I rejoice because the gospel is being proclaimed, Christ is being proclaimed. I believe that, that Paul is able to have this mindset because he, he's keeping himself planted in the gospel. He's, uh, he has an understanding, he has a proper understanding of who God is. He's able to, to look at his situation despite his suffering, despite what he's going through, still keep focus on God. And I think that comes from, from just staying in God's word on a daily basis, staying in prayer. We have to keep ourselves planted in the gospel on a daily basis so that when life does happen, when things do get hard, you don't budge, you don't, you don't move. You see, Paul, Paul understands, he has a proper understanding of who God is. He understands what the Bible says about God, and he understands who God is. He understands that despite his sufferings, that God is not a God of chance, that, that, that what he's going through doesn't dictate anything, that he understands that God is sovereign over all. As it says in Proverbs 16.33, the law is cast into the lap, but it is every decision is from the Lord. This idea that, that you can throw the dice and you may say, well, however they land, that's what's going to happen. But, 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 but what, what's saying in Proverbs is that even in that situation, even in situations where you may throw the dice and decide whatever happens, however the dice may land, that's what I'm going to do. That God is still in control of that. That God is, is a God who is sovereignly in control of, of everything. And Paul has this understanding. He says in Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That God, despite your suffering, despite what we may be going through in life, God is always in control. That God is sovereign. That he's not a God of chance. That what you're going through, there's a bigger purpose for that. And that's what he's trying to show here to the Philippian church. That even though I'm, I may be in prison, even though this is hard, the gospel is still being proclaimed. God has a bigger and greater purpose for what you're going through in life. And that's still true for us. That despite what you may go through, despite how hard 
life may be, despite whether you, you have the job you want or you're, or, you're pay, or you're paying your bills and it's living from paycheck to paycheck, despite all that, God is sovereignly in control of your situation. That God loves you so much that he's going to use whatever you're going through to, to grow your faith in him. See, Paul just doesn't understand that God is sovereign. He believes that God is sovereign. It's one thing to say, to say that we believe in God, we believe in the truth of God, but it's another thing to live according to that in your life. We can have all the knowledge we want, but we have to live out the truth of the gospel. We have to live out the truth of who God is. If we just say that God is sovereign, but we don't really believe that, then it's not the same. Paul lived because he, he knew, he believed this, he lived it out. Paul is, is choosing to, despite what he's going through, to stand on the truth of the gospel, to stand on the truth of who God is. This is why a couple years later when, when Paul writes Romans, he, he writes in Romans 8, 28-30, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined and to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Paul lived that out. He, he's able to write that a couple years later because that's what he lived out his whole life. That God had a greater purpose. That God is using him to advance the gospel, to be for Christ to be proclaimed. So Paul is saying, he's living that out, and he's encouraging the Philippian church to live according to that. He's trying to encourage them to to rejoice in difficult times. It's easy for us to come here on a Sunday morning when everything is going fine. When the lights are on, when, when life is going great, and to sing praises to God, and to pray to God, and thank God. But when life gets difficult, that becomes a little bit more difficult. When things don't go the way we want to, it's harder to sing songs of praise to God. It's harder to thank God in the midst of the valley. And Paul is telling them, you need to rejoice in difficult times. He's trying to be that example. This is what I'm doing. Despite what I'm going through, I'm still going to rejoice in the fact that Christ is proclaimed. And that's what he's trying to teach. That's what he's trying to lead by this example for for the Philippian church. Rejoice in difficult times. And we see that the gospel is moving forward. That despite despite Paul's situation, people are being saved. We we kind of get this idea at the end of the book in in, in in chapter 4 and verse 22. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. This idea that that people have been saved through Christ proclaiming, through Paul proclaiming Christ in in the midst of his battle, in the midst of his struggle. I believe, as I was reading this this, this week, one thing that stood out to me, that it's, it's, it's Paul's attitude in the midst of struggles. It's Paul's attitude in the midst of suffering, suffering that makes a difference. 
when we stand firm in the faith, when we stand firm when things are going bad, and we believe what, we, what we've been saying, we believe with our whole hearts what, what God is teaching us, we can really change someone's disposition towards the gospel. I believe sometimes our reaction, our response to situations or to people are oftentimes our best witness of the truth. That people are, because we call ourselves Christians, because we believe in in this God, that people are looking at us to see how we respond in times of hardship, to see how we respond in times of struggles. And it's how you react in those times that oftentimes can be our best witness of the truth. When we walk the talk, when we really praise God despite what's going on, when we really give God all the praise, all the glory, despite how good or how bad our life is. When we respond in, st- in love instead of anger, when we are generous, not just with our money, but with our time, that speaks volumes to people. When they know that you love because Christ loved you. And you just don't say I love you, but you show that you love them. See, it's the fact that it wasn't the fact that Paul was in prison that was encouraging or, or helped people embolden. It was the fact that that Paul was bold while in prison, that he stood there, that he said in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. People, he was letting people know that I'm not a convicted felon. I didn't do anything. The reason I'm here is because of what I say and what I proclaim about Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to budge from that. And it's that attitude and it's that, that boldness that, that Paul has while he's in prison that is really impacting people. question is, what, what is your attitude right now as things are going good, as life is, is what you want it to be? That does not matter. It's your attitude and it's your heart disposition in the midst of trial while in the valley that matters. When things aren't going your way, do you still hold on? Do you still cling to God? Do you still cling to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ when things aren't going your way? That's what matters. Do you choose to remain faithful to God? Or do you compromise in the midst of hardship, in the midst of struggle? And Paul is trying to encourage, encourage the Philippian church to just hold on, to rejoice. That, that nothing happens by chance. That, that our suffering is, is, is comes from God and it's oftentimes used by God to encourage us, to, to strengthen us, to grow us. And it's having that understanding that Paul is trying to show the Philippian church. We also see that, that it's not just a physical pain that, that Paul has experienced. That, that yes, he, he, he's locked up, that he's in prison, that, that he can't leave or anything, but that's not it. As, as we go on in the book, we, we see that there are people within the church who are trying to harm Paul while he's in prison. We see this in verses 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Oftentimes, some of the hardest things in life is, is the words that people say to us. That hurts more sometimes. And how do you respond when, when, when people are speaking ill of you, when people are looking to afflict you 
on purpose. And we see, we see um, Paul's response to this. He responds in verses 18. Only that in every way, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That the, whatever people may be saying about me, the fact that people are still trying to afflict me while I'm in prison, I will rejoice. Because Christ is being proclaimed, and that's all that matters. We have to, I believe that, that these people who Paul is talking about are, are, are people within the, the Philippian church. That, that they're the same brothers that he mentions in verse, verse 14. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord. It's the same people that we see in verse 15. And we see that, that, that throughout the book of Philippians, we see that Paul has several opponents. You know, in, in, in chapter 3 and verse 2, he calls um, some opponents dogs. But he doesn't, doesn't do that here. He calls them brothers, and he says, some indeed preach Christ. And so we see that even we can still preach Christ. Our motives could be wrong. That, that, that even though Christ is still being proclaimed, people can still have the wrong motive in that. So not all preaching of the gospel is based on proper motives. You see here that, 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 that Paul says they are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. They were probably jealous of Paul's success, that they saw the success that Paul was having, and, and they wanted that. They wanted it for their own desires. They had, that's what they had in mind. They envied the gifts and, and the fact that Paul was being used and the success that he was having in ministry, and so they used this opportunity when, when Paul was, was in prison, when Paul couldn't do much to, 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 to in essence, attack him. And they're still, they're still preaching Christ. There's no way that Paul's going to say, I rejoice in that. I rejoice that they preach Christ if they weren't preaching a sound gospel. They weren't really teaching a sound doctrine. So, so they had the right gospel. They had the right doctrine, but they still had the wrong heart. They wanted what Paul had. They wanted his success. And so what I, what I get out of that is, is it's possible to preach a gospel with a wrong heart motive, with not having the right intentions in mind, where you're seeking your own personal gain, where you want to be able to say, I saved those people. Those people came to Christ because I led them in a prayer or I was preaching to them or whatever the case may be. And we see that's not that's not the right motive. We can still have a proper understanding of the gospel. We can still have sound doctrine, but still miss the mark. Still have wrong motives. We need to first and foremost preach Christ because we want to see Christ advance for His kingdom, not for our purpose, not because we want to put another tally on our stat that we saved someone. No, we, want, we preach Christ because we want, first and foremost, see Christ proclaimed. When you preach Christ, when you share the gospel, are you concerned with your own agenda or do you have the agenda of God in mind? Are you trying to, are you trying to share the gospel with them because you're really concerned with their soul or because you just want to pat on the back and say, I led this person to Christ? It doesn't matter this this preaching the preaching the gospel and, and proclaiming Christ it's not a competition it's not about who 
does it better. It's not about who who says the most or, or who who speaks better. It's about letting Christ be proclaimed. And that's all that matters. And so when, when, when we go into situations where we want to, to share God with people, we want to share the gospel, we have to keep our hearts in check. We have to make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons and not for our own personal gain because we want to see the kingdom of God move forward. And so who is Christ to you? Who is God to you? Is he simply a, a means to an end or is he your savior? Do you cling to Christ in times of struggles and heartache, or do you cling to your own understanding? Do you believe that Christ to be the Son of God and your Savior, or are you just trying to get something out of it? See, what we see is that in times of hardships and suffering, your motive for proclaiming the gospel will come to light. We see that, 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 that these people were probably, with, like I said, within the church. That they probably sat under, under Paul's teaching. They've probably been there for a while. And the moment that the opportunity presented itself, they, they took advantage of it. And it's through that hardships of others sometimes. When we see others suffering, our true motives sometimes come out. So we have to check, check our hearts. We have to make sure that, that we're always praying and we're, and we're humbling ourselves before God himself and allowing God to use, not placing ourselves in situations where we think we need to be, but, but that God is the one moving, that God is the one putting you where you need to be. So we see that you can preach and you can proclaim Christ and still have a wrong motive. And the other reason that we see here is found in verse 16. And the latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So what does it mean to, to proclaim Christ out of love? I believe it's proclaiming the gospel out of love is to understand the true need of man, that they need a Savior, that, that at, the, at the core we all need a Savior because of our wickedness, because of our wretchedness. It's understanding that, that more than anything, Despite what we may be going through, despite the hardships of life, people need Christ. They need the gospel more than anything. And it's understanding that, and it's making sure that no matter what, we proclaim the gospel first. And we take that forward. But also, to, out of love, as we see in 2-4, out of love is... Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's this idea of when we preach Christ, when we proclaim the gospel out of love, we have other people's interests in mind. That it's not our own interests. That we're not worried about ourselves, but we're worried about the condition of that man or woman. That we're worried about them coming to know their Lord and Savior first and foremost. But it doesn't just stop there. Out of love means that then once you proclaim the gospel, you, you try to meet their need. When we see this idea, uh, it is out of love, loving your neighbor as yourself as, as we're called to do. That is what it means to preach the gospel out of love, is to look at man and to have your heart break for them because of their condition and preach Christ to them and then, and then meet their needs. We don't just preach Christ and then leave. 
But sometimes people are going through some real physical hurt or some emotional or some psychological hurt. We have to try to meet that need as well. Just like when, just like when we want to be served in times of, of hardship, when we appreciate when people serve us when we need it the most, we also have to be willing to do that for others. That's what, that's what it means to preach Christ, to proclaim the gospel out of love. It's to see them saved. Not that you save them, but to see them saved no matter what. It's having a care for man's soul. It's looking at their at this position and realizing they need Christ more than anything. We do not treat people as a tally marker as your own personal scoreboard. But you see them being made in the image of God. And you care for them and you love for them. First and foremost, by, by proclaiming the gospel and then seeing how you can serve them. You cannot love someone without trying to serve them. We, we preach Christ to see them come to a saving faith, to a saving relationship with Christ. And then you love them, then you serve them. So we have to have, to have others' interests in mind before our own. As Paul says in Philippians 2.4, we have to have their interests, their best interests ahead of ours. If we are to love them, if we are to serve them, if we are to, to preach Christ to them, they ha- we have to keep in mind their interests, what they need. And lastly, we see that Paul rejoices in Christ being proclaimed, not in who is doing the proclaiming. It doesn't matter doesn't matter who's proclaiming what. As long as God is being proclaimed, as Christ is being proclaimed, and the gospel is moving forward, that's all that matters to Paul. Verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. At the end of the day, the gospel has its objectivity and validity apart from those who proclaim it. The message is more than the medium. That it's, it's what's being proclaimed, not who's doing the proclaiming. And so Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't care who's doing the proclaiming. He sees that Christ is being proclaimed and that people are coming to know Christ. And he's saying, I rejoice in that. I'm going to choose to rejoice in the fact that people are coming to a saving faith in Christ. Not in the fact that it's not me who's doing it, but that people are being saved. And we see that, 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 that Paul is only able to have this because he he understands his disposition he understands that god is a gracious and merciful and loving god that god pulled him out of the out of his wickedness out of his seeking to kill people who were who were following christ god pulled him out of that and the god of grace and the god of love pulled him out of that and saved him and now he's proclaiming that same message and it's that same grace, that same love, that same mercy that was offered to Paul, we now have that offered to us. That despite what you go through in life, despite what you've done or what you're currently doing, Christ died for your sins. That we are able to have a Savior who loves and who just showers us with mercy and with grace. That same grace that, that, that was offered to Paul is offered to us. 
And that's what Paul is excited about. That's what Paul is going to choose to rejoice in. Not in anything else. Not in not, not that fact that he's not going to dwell, that he's hurting or that he's in pain. He's going to dwell on the fact that Christ is sovereign, that Christ loves his people so much that he sent his son to die for them. And that that story, that that message is being proclaimed. We sometimes avoid sharing the gospel because because of fear, because we're not we're we're afraid of of perhaps sounding dumb or or not speaking it eloquently. And what we see that that no matter what, the, you just preach the God, you proclaim Christ, and God will do the rest. We we oftentimes try to overlook and try to think too much to it. All you need to do is just share the truth of the gospel that that day, no matter what, that Christ died for our sins. And you don't have to get yourself all prettied up. You don't have to, you don't have to first, you know, avoid some type of sin for for seven days before coming to Christ. That in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of everything that you're going through, Christ died for your sins. And that mercy and that love is extended to you. So we rejoice in your suffering because God is at work. That whatever you're going through in life, we have to understand that that God is at work in the midst of our trials, in the midst of some of the hardest times in life. God is working in you. He's working out something for your benefit, for your good. And it's not, sometimes it doesn't look like the way that we want it to where he just takes it away. Like that, we just ask God, take this away from me. Sometimes God has a purpose for you in that struggle. He has a purpose for you to grow stronger in your faith, to grow closer to him so that you can have something to stand on. And we oftentimes want to avoid, avoid suffering because it doesn't feel good to us. But sometimes the, the, the benefits of, 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 of going through some type of trial isn't immediate. Sometimes God has the long game in mind. So true joy is found when we rest in the truths of the gospel. Paul is able to, to stand there and rejoice and take pride in the fact that Christ is being proclaimed no matter what. Because he's found true joy in the gospel. He understands that God is the God of love and that God is, a, is the God of mercy and grace. And that no matter what... God is going to use his situation for God's purpose. Not for his own purpose, but for for God's purpose. And in that, Paul rejoices. We have to to remain in that truth. We have to remain in the gospel and in the truth of the gospel. And that's where we can find joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of of hardship. We find joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in ourselves, not in anything else, but in the gospel of Christ. That when we are struggling, when we are going through it, we are in the thick of it, in the valley, or the times that we need to be praying the hardest, that we need to be reading our Bible the, the most, times that we need to praise God even louder is in that valley. And in that, you will find joy as long as you remain implanted on the word of God. You remain in the truth of the gospel. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we...
come before you. We, we thank you for, for sending your word to us, Lord, that we have the truth that we can stand on, that we can open up our Bibles and that we can read your words, we can read your truth and understand that, that you love us a way that love us more than we can even understand, Lord. And we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that your son died on that cross for our sins, but he just did not stay dead, but he rose again, Lord. And we thank you for that. We give you praise. We ask that we remain true in that, that in the midst of struggles, in the midst of hardships, we remember what your son did for us on that cross. And that you sent him to die for our sins, Lord. And that you've pulled us out out of our own selves and into you, Lord. We thank you for that. We praise you. We ask that you be with us, Lord. Be with us the rest of this day as we go home, Lord. May we remain implanted in your word, Lord. May we spend time with family and spend time in your word. May we just rest in you today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.